Welcome to Conversations with Caroline. On this season, we're going to talk about conversations that matter. I have asked each of my guests to bring a conversation to the show that they wish more people were talking about. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, throw in your AirPods for your daily walk, grab some friends to listen in. I'm your host, Caroline. Thank you to everyone who has subscribed and written a review. If you haven't had a chance to do so, please do so wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow along on Instagram at Conversations with Caroline for all the latest updates. And be sure to share this episode with someone. Chrissy Brady Smith is a somatic life coach, elementary school tutor, and comedic storyteller. No matter the age, she helps people remember who they really are through movement, play, and the healing powers of self-expression. Chrissy was a joy to have on the show, and I hope y'all enjoy the episode as much as I enjoyed making it. Hi, Chrissy. Oh my gosh, we're here. We're doing it. (laughs) How are you? It has been, I'm not even going to say how long, but I can tell people that since my high school days, since I have seen you. I just feel grateful that we went to to Campo together. That opened up a lot of doors for me emotionally, even spiritually and healing wise. And so it's really cool that we get to come full circle back together to have this conversation. Absolutely. It's funny with the pandemic, my heart has broken the most for high school students. Think about like just how special those short four years were for us. Uh, drama filled and things I had to work through later in my life, but they were special. And I think going to Camp Lindo was a unique circumstance. So funny. I feel like I admired you from afar in high school. We both played volleyball and you were so tall and so amazing. And uh, one state when we were in high school and, but always so kind, you know, I think there was a little bit of mentorship from the older players to us freshmen when we came in and, um, just have always admired you. So thank you for saying yes and joining us on the show today. Oh, wow. Thank you for this because I, uh, I really admire you and what you're doing right now. Putting on a podcast is a very big deal. It's very vulnerable and the commitment that it takes to have these real conversations that aren't surface level, that actually go into the heart of what it means to be a human. This is so freaking important. And Um, yeah, I've been a yes since you first asked me, it's just taken me a long time to actually find the time to do it. I'm so happy we're here and I can't wait to hear what has been going on in your life since all those years ago. So tell me what you do and how you fill your time. I'm a, (laughs) some people call me a healer. I don't really call myself that. Um, but I just really like working with broken hearts, people who, have struggled in their relationships and their relationships to their bodies and their relationships to even belonging in their families on the earth. And so I've been a life coach, a somatic life coach, meaning I work with people inside the body. So we don't just talk, we don't just break through patterns that we realize with the mind. We actually go into the body, into the felt sense and see like what feels trapped, what feels scared, what needs some extra expression and movement. Um, Because so much of the time when someone feels really stuck in life, it started someplace in the body where we were traumatized, where we froze. And so my work with my clients as a somatic life coach is to really gently 
go into those places that are frozen and to help them defrost. And I get chills as mm-hmm. I think about that because, you know, we all have that moment when we were children where we're feeling like open and undefended and so loving and trusting and innocent. And then something happens that could have been very scary. It could be a really tiny trauma or a really big trauma that has us forget that life is good. And we develop all these defenses against life in order to survive. So the inside of that pain is where we heal. Um, Mm -hmm. But so much of the time we're just operating in, okay, what will get me love? What will help me survive in this moment? And if we just go back to that actual moment when we were like four, five, six, maybe when we were two, and we give that part of ourselves the love and the care and the attention that it needs, or maybe it's the cry that it needs. Maybe it's the hug that it needs. Because I I do work with my clients one-on-one and in workshops where there's touch involved and where there's actual holding and like, like, women in their 60s, 70s needing to cry in someone's arms that represent mama. Like these are the things that that I've done with my time over the years since you've seen me last and I feel so fortunate. Um, but so I have life coaching clients where we do this this kind of deep work with. And I also have dabbled with stand-up comedy. Uh, I wound up getting very depressed. I've been avoiding, you know, I've been a life coach for a long time and it was my badge of honor to have gotten off my prescription medication for anxiety and depression. And when my depression came back with a vengeance, I ignored it for two years. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not the life coach who's depressed. Like, no, 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 I'm helping everyone like heal from depression and those symptoms of feeling really hopeless and in despair. And then I was like, nope, this is true. This is real. And I, with the help of my therapist, with the help of medication, and with the help of just a lot of people in my life, I decided to put on a comedy show to actually talk about depression and to give that depression a voice and to also create a space for people to understand that like, hey, depression is here and it's it's not actually a problem, but not talking about it is a problem. And so I shared some really embarrassing stories in front of my parents and it was just, it was hilarious and fun. Um, and before that I was a teacher, like before I became a, a life coach, before I became a comedian, I taught little ones because they're the best and they're the most eager to heal. But then I realized as a kindergarten teacher, like I actually need to teach more than just like social, emotional love and healing. Like they actually need to learn math and reading and I'm less into that. <laughs> I'm more into the, <laughs> the healing stuff. So that's, that's a long-winded answer. So much good stuff. I want to unpack it all. I feel like the thing that stuck out to me most that I just know um, personally and so many of my friends have faced is that sort of stigma and guilt that we put on ourselves when medication gets involved. And I've had really heartfelt conversations with people where we rely on the fact that medicine in its essence is good. It's meant to heal the body. It's meant to supplement the body, you know, bring us back to a state of whatever normalcy is. And, but somewhere along the way there, there can be this self thought and this talk in our head of like, well, if you need medicine, then you're not enough. 
or you're failing, or you're always going to be on this and this is going to change your life forever. And, and I'm just so curious if you could speak into that for someone who's either taking medicine, considering it and like helping them to see the goodness of it rather than that guilt and kind of condemnation. Yeah. So there was a time when I stopped calling my medicine, which is Zoloft. I stopped calling it medicine and I was calling it prescription medication. And just that, that language, as opposed to medicine has a totally different energy to it. Um, and so after doing so much to heal my depression naturally, so I'm talking, you know, letting myself cry, staying in my body, exercising, getting massages, um, doing so much internal and external work in order to manage the, the depression and believing that I could be medication free when it all became too much. And I was struggling with suicidal thoughts and suicidal ideation, even though my life looked so perfect on the outside. I was really invited to seek psychiatric help. And when I, when I talked to this psychiatrist, about everything that was going on for me, she kept hearing this language of believing that if I took this medicine, it would be taking the easy way out and it would not actually heal me. It would just be a Band-Aid solution. And when she, she helped me see that that's how I was relating to this medicine that could actually really help me. And when she heard about the 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 clinical depression, the severe clinical depression, like I have suicide that runs in my family and in my lineage that I swear is in my DNA somewhere. She said, no, Chrissy, like this is a part of your brain. And if you had a broken bone, if you had something going on with your liver, you would take medicine for that to make it better. And what I believe and what I really stand for is that if you were to take this medicine, given all the deep work that you already do, this is actually going to help you do that healing work in a safer way. Because right now your brain needs, needs extra help. It's too hard to regulate and life doesn't need to be this hard. And when she said that to me, I just started crying in her office, but it was the relief kind of cry. It wasn't the shame. It was the, oh my God, like I have been trying to hold my shit together for so long and it doesn't have to be this hard. And so when I finally got back on the medicine, I call it medicine now, it took a couple months, probably three months for me to finally, for it to finally click. And when it did, it's like, why have I been waiting for this? Why have I been suffering and struggling through and trying to walk through, honestly, like cement? <laughs> That's what life felt like. I couldn't get out of bed. And then all of a sudden life made sense again. And my brain was like, oh wait, this is what joy is. Mm. I, I, I like traveling. I like funny movies. I don't just have to watch Grey's Anatomy and cry all the time. Like I actually love living and it was the medicine that offered me that. Wow. So take on it. Yeah. Gosh, I hope someone listening just has taken a huge exhale mm -hmm. and just heard the truth that with the right supervision, with the right accountability, it's, it's worth exploring. My next question is my audience has heard me talk about somatic therapy because I've shared a little bit about my experience, but before my personal experience, I'm not sure I'd ever even heard the word somatic. And so I'm curious before it became your work, what your exposure was to it and kind of what drew you to that form of therapy. 
Yes. So it starts with a workshop that I went, that I took many, many years ago, probably over a decade ago when I was 24. I, I took a workshop because I had done a lot of transformational work. Like I had done something called the Landmark Forum and I had done talk therapy and where it's all very intellectual and just getting to know what are my patterns? Why am I the way I am? And just, but intellectually like theorizing it. And a dear friend of mine who's been a mentor for years, she invited me to this workshop and it's called Core Woman, um, C-O-R-W-O-M-A-N. And she let me know it's going to be something very different than anything I had ever done. Um, and um, when I was 21, uh, trigger warning for anyone listening, but um, I, I was raped and I was studying abroad and I, I got drunk that night and the man I was making out with found out later that he had a girlfriend and I said, no. I can't make out with you anymore, but then I got roofied and unfortunately raped. And uh, that particular trauma, even though I wasn't awake for it, it stayed in my body. And all the talking, all of the intellectual understanding, like getting that it wasn't my fault up here, getting that this is his responsibility, his burden to bear, not mine, but my body still, when I would experience intimacy and I had been, I was in a relationship at the time of me taking this workshop, like I still didn't trust. And in this workshop, I was, I was invited to actually just feel my body. I was in the group of like, there's probably 30 women there. And in the first opening circle, we were invited to close our eyes. And I'm like, oh, this is different. Like I haven't been invited to close my eyes in, like ever. And just to feel what was happening for me in my body, as opposed to thinking about it and talking about it. And that weekend took me on this journey of a learning how to, to dance and move again, and also how to express everything that I had been holding in because we, we lock our trauma a lot of the times in our throat because for really severe trauma, like we might become silenced and we, we can't talk. And so I was able to give my voice this rage, this anger, a scream. And once I screamed and kind of fought back and took back the night, they set up, it's almost like drama therapy where I was able to, to take my power back and say no to this man and scream and like kick him off. And this is all against like a pillow against a wall something released on the other side of that. And I just became this like embodied warrior when I, before that was like very frail and, and stuck and uncomfortable and awkward. And it was like, Oh, this is who I am. And so once this workshop completed, I started working with the somatic coach that ran that workshop. And we did beautiful in person and also over the phone therapy, but it's, it wasn't technically therapy, but it was of me just continuing that process of feeling what was happening in my body. Like for one thing, I'm someone who's very, very hard on myself and I have a really harsh inner critic and intellectually I understood it, but I didn't get that there was something locked in my body from years ago when I had a babysitter spank me that had me believe that I was bad. And so once I went back to that 
place and like literally the spanking that told me that I was a bad girl, I was able to give that part of my body the love that it needed, the apology that it needed. And I started believing in my nervous system that I was good. And it's not that I believe that I'm good all the time anymore, but now that I'm present and with my body a hundred percent and my body is my teammate, life has just gotten easier and more fulfilling. And I was like, okay, I got to learn how to, how to do this because I love this so much. And so I started facilitating. I went down a five-year training to learn how to facilitate this work and become a certified life coach. And, and it all, it all worked out from there. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know you probably have done it, but I think it never loses its value and the world needs more vulnerability. So thank you for just being an open book and, and sharing your story with us. Um, I don't know if I shared this on season one or not, but mine was similar, but it was in my jaw. And I, in the last season of my marriage was seeing a dentist, I think for a regular cleaning. And I said, you know, I've been having this jaw pain. Could we take an x-ray? I'm not sure what it is. And they took an x-ray and he's like, oh, I think you might need a root canal. I'm going to send you over to this other kind of dentist. And I went through the whole root canal. And I think most of the time when you get a root canal, you don't feel anything because the root is dead and that's why you're getting it. Well, I felt everything. So I knew something was wrong. They obviously numbed me and continued with it, but I always kind of wondered, like, did I really need that root canal? Like, I don't know that I necessarily feel better, but maybe it takes time. And so fast forward eight to 10 months, kind of getting out of my marriage, going through somatic therapy. And I realized that I had been carrying this locked tense jaw, not consciously where I walked around gritting my teeth, but it was just in there. And when we worked through that and I went to my next dental appointment, they were shocked. I was like, it's gone. And it wasn't the root canal. I want my money back. Like that wasn't it. That wasn't what I needed. What I needed was to be told that I had given up fighting back because I didn't have a voice. My opinion didn't gain me any ground in my marriage. And so I started just to go on the defense and just to protect myself and to stay as quiet and as unnoticeable as possible to go without conflict. When inside I was just, I wanted to scream and fight back and stand up and say, this wasn't okay, but I didn't have that inner courage yet. And so, um, it's just fascinating that that's not something that I think we're taught or even made aware of is possible. I hope that as more people hear this conversation and have others that when they hear about people's trauma or they meet someone and they're talking about symptoms, that it at least becomes a question that's asked, right? Do you think your symptoms could be resulting from this or how have you walked through that? How are you working through that? Um, Because it's not just about proximity and time. You have to actually revisit and be willing to kind of bring it up and and let go of it because that little lock it in a box and throw it away actually turns into a bomb that will explode. It doesn't go to some mystery place and dissolve. No, I love that analogy that it turns into a bomb. The way I explain this to clients of mine, especially when we're talking about anger, because anger, you know, all of that, that was stuck in your jaw right there. That's such a beautiful example. And I'm so glad you got the relief and the attention that you needed there. But um, when we when we try and hide this ball of energy, which is like fire, it's a volcano, and we just try and stuff it 
not only does it take so much of our life force and our energy to push it below water because it's like a beach ball and you push it below water so you don't realize really who you are anymore because you're taking all of his attention to to hide it but then when you least expect it that beach ball of flames it'll either hit you in the face when you're triggered it'll hit your loved ones in the face when you're triggered it'll come out in traffic but when we gently just actually see and hold up this anger or this sadness this trigger this trauma this pain and we give it love, we give it space, we may give it a voice, and you just getting the awareness that, oh, this is there, and I know why it's there now, something releases, and we that posture of our true self begins to come forth. And so uh, I want more people to have this conversation. I know. Mm. So good. So tell me, I know that you're... Uh, past, I call the pandemic year looked a little bit different. So speak a little bit to that. And then maybe what's ahead kind of for you going back into this work. Okay. So I decided to make the most of the pandemic because my fiance and I, we were traveling. Our plan was to travel for a year. We were in Nepal when the pandemic hit and we were supposed to travel for nine more months. And so we had to take a repatriation flight home to America and we were renting out our house. We had nowhere to live. So I was living with my parents, which was great. And it just occurred to me actually around the time of George Floyd being murdered and Black Lives Matter that my roots of education really started to come forth. Um, I have a master's in urban education and social justice. You know, I used to teach and I used to be with the kids and on this trip, I realized I really miss children. And I just let myself follow that instinct that said, I want to be with kids again. And I don't quite know how. And I just told one person and she told another person and that person told another person and a family called me and asked if I wanted to be their pod teacher this year, meaning to support the kids whose parents need to work and help them with their distance learning, but also offer them an education, meaning like being in person and connecting with someone who understands children and understands life. And I used to be a camp counselor and they're like, okay, yeah, you're the right person for the job. And so I took this on for a year. I mean, it's been 10 months. Um, I end at the end of next week and then I'm on summer break, but this was, this was the pivot that I needed to, to just reconnect with with joy and with play because kids are just so important. <laughs> They're so important for me. And um, the pivot was important for me too, because unfortunately in our, in our society and in America in particular, it's like there's all this pressure to find your purpose in your career and to commit and to go all in and to see it through. And if for some reason, if you don't, I've always had this thought that that means that I'm a failure or I'm a commitophobe. But for me, that's just not it, that it's been really okay and valuable for me to change my mind and change my path. And it wound up working out for everybody around me too, because when I'm happy, everyone else is happy. And I'm not the kind of person that can be put in a box. I have so many passions and that, that matters to me. If I'm only living in one little dimension, 
I'll, I'll really suffer. So that was my little pivot this year and it's been beautiful and I'm so ready to, to go full time into the somatic life coaching again, because now I miss the adults because I've only had a few clients as I've managed this year and I'm really excited. And tell me what that looks like. You talked about private clients, retreats. What is, how can people, what does it look like to partner with you on this? Yeah. So the people that partner with me that choose to work with me privately, you can just come to my website, chrissybradysmith.com. But, um, we go on, we call it this reveal journey and where the parts of ourselves that we have been hiding or denying really get revealed and our, your true self kind of gets to come through. And so I have some clients, a lot of clients find me because they were embarrassed to, to be dealing with depression still and to be going back on medication and they feel really safe with me. And so we're able to unpack why that is and really get to know like our, I work with a lot of people pleasers, like recovering people pleasers, codependents. I mean, cause that's me. I'm a recovering people pleaser. And another word that I have for people pleasers is liars <laughs> because really we're just lying all the time. That's <laughs> great. <laughs> yes. That was part of my comedy show. I was able to talk about that quite a bit. Um, and so I'll, I'll do either like a four month journey with someone where we'll have one-on-one -on -one sessions and we'll unpack so many different things and I keep it light and it's also deep. Maybe there's tears, maybe there's a lot of laughter. Um, I've also worked with people and just really wanting to find out what's next for them. Um, you know, transitions can be so, so scary, especially in our culture. And so I'll do one-on-one -on -one stuff, which is just magical. You never know what you're going to get with that. But I also offer, sometimes I'll offer one day workshops that are just like two hours, three hours and root and release is what they're called. And I play basically a playlist and I bring any human that's there. Um, cause I really like doing group work, um, into just waking up their body again. So starting with the chakras, I don't know if you're familiar with the chakra system, but like getting connected with your, your root and your connection to your body and the earth, and then reconnecting to your sexuality and your passion, and then opening up physically with all this music and different movements that I offer and teach, opening up your power and then opening up your heart and then opening up your voice. So giving the space for some screaming and primal emotion, and especially unlocking the jaw and then connecting with your your wisdom, and then your connection to a higher power, grace, God, whatever one wants to call it. I like doing that. And then hopefully I'll be leading some actual four-day retreats again, because that's, that's my absolute favorite. Um, and I just don't know when that will be, when COVID restrictions really allow for that. I think so many people, a blessing that is coming out of this pandemic year is it gave people pause. And I think at first that was scary. Like, wait, I had this plan. I was going, I had things scheduled and that all got paused. But I think in the pause, there was a reflection and then a reevaluation and people get to decide as we re-enter the world and say yes to things again, are they going to pick up everything that they had before? And I think more times than not, the answer is no. Even if it's just as simple as I have this new morning routine and I'm going to keep doing it. Or I have this new night routine where I walk in my neighborhood. I, 
I remember the early months of the pandemic, my mom and I would walk and we would see more people than I've ever seen in my life. And everyone would wave. And it was so, it felt like, you know, 50 years ago and everyone was just out getting their oxygen, getting their steps in. And so I think the work that you're doing is so important, especially that piece on transitions, because at least I think where we grew up, there was such a order to life. You were supposed to do this and then this, and then by our age, be this and have that. And that's just not the way life works most of the time. And so to create space where people can sit in a judgment-free zone and say, I want to find purpose and meaning in my life. And I don't currently have that, but I know I'm capable of it. And to partner with you on that, what a joy to do that work. That's it. Oh, it's so fun to talk with you. Now I just want to know every single bit of your story. I know. I'm like, so can we do like a four-day retreat, just the two of us? I know. (laughs) I told you earlier, and I think you've answered this in so many ways, but if we're encouraging people this season to have a conversation that matters, um, how would you prompt people? What conversation would you have someone listening to this episode go have with their roommates, go have with their loved ones? Oh, I've got one. There's, um, I led a, a workshop called Darkness when I was depressed and coming out of it. And it was an offering a lot like your podcast that I just knew I needed to provide so people can talk about the stuff that's dark and not all shiny and pretty and rainbows. And in one of the partner pair shares, we do this sharing where the prompt is, I don't want you to know. And someone just shares, I don't want you to know, blah, 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 blah. And then the next person says, thank you. And I don't want you to know, blah, 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 blah. And they just go back and forth, back and forth of just revealing the stuff that we don't want others to know about how our day was, about how we thought, you know, the choice that we made, what we ate the night before. And then before you know it, it becomes fun and it becomes joyful and it it seems to disarm people actually um, to share what I don't want you to know. And another invitation I have for anybody listening is when someone asks you how you are, please just tell the truth. Like saying fine or yeah, I'm good. What have you actually shared? You know what? I had a really hard night last night. Are you open to hearing more about it? Or you know what? I, I just had a breakthrough this morning in therapy. Can I tell you about that? And just revealing the truth because we're so hungry for that, especially during this pandemic, um, that the hunger for connection and reality, that's what I would suggest. So good. <laughs> so good. And so doable, you know, simple things that can just make such a big difference and I think that's it. It's about showing up and being authentic. That's my word of 2021 that I've chosen to walk in is just trying to show up authentically. You know, what my biggest lesson so far is that I apologize a lot more for good things, not because I'm always saying I'm sorry, like, you know, that default, but because I honestly and genuinely can recognize when I was outside my values and I did something that doesn't represent who I actually want to be. And I, and I value the relationship. And so I want the other person to know Hey, I'm sorry I snapped at you. I'm sorry I was impatient. I'm sorry I took out what happened at work on you when I got home, you know? Just so important. No, that authenticity, that ownership and self-responsibility. Oh, that's so big. And it's so um when you do it right, 
and what it sounds like this, this real apology, it creates so much connection. So congratulations for doing that. That can be very hard and tricky for people. That's a hard one for me, actually. So I'm inspired. I did it at work yesterday and it was maybe a little bit selfishly motivated, but there's a, a contractor we're working with. Um, and he is just one of those people that you kind of wonder if he's always having a bad day and he shows up to meetings and he's super blunt and kind of curt. And you're just like, Hey, like, it's a good day to be alive. Like, let's just, you know, how are you? And so we've kind of had a few months with him in short, brief settings. And yesterday, um, we had an interaction in a meeting and I, I kind of snapped an answer back and I was actually wrong. I, I remembered something incorrectly, but I was able to sort of stand my ground. I could have fudged it and, you know, gotten away with it. And it wasn't critical to the meeting. And afterwards I did some research and I realized, oh, I, I misspoke. And so I called him about something else. And I said, you know, I just want to apologize. I had a really busy day on Monday when I sent that email, what I meant to say was this, it wasn't really represented accurately, but, and, and I think it like broke something over him, like his hardness softened just a little bit, because I think I was reaching that human inside of him to say like, hi, like, I'm not perfect. I, I don't think you are either. And we're going to work together probably for the next 18 months on this project. So why don't we come at it from a, a heart level, you know, and who knows the, the fruit it will bear. But if I continue to have those small moments, then maybe by the end of the project, he'll be a little bit softer is my goal. <laughs> Oh, this is so beautiful. You got to be human and you got to apologize and that opened up something in him. Can I share an apology I made a few months Please. Ago? Okay. So I, I've been going through all sort of this fertility challenging kind of a year for me. And there was one appointment that I had for an ultrasound. It was three months ago and I had a cough, but I had been COVID tested, COVID tested negative. You know, this is the world we're in. And they, they sent me home and I had to take time off work in order to have this appointment. And I got mad and I started crying and I said, this isn't fair. Like, why aren't you trusting me? I have this COVID test and I, I got mad, uh, for me getting mad in a, in a setting like this probably isn't as mad as other people do, but I left feeling really shitty. Like I didn't actually need to treat this human being that way because I know, I know she didn't want to do that. She didn't want to send me home. And so I went in for this ultrasound a month later and I was really nervous to go back. Um, but I immediately went to her and she was the manager of that floor. And I said, may I talk with you? I just want to share that. I'm so sorry about how our last conversation went when you sent me home, you did the right thing. And I treated you so poorly and I know you didn't want to do that. And I just really want to apologize for taking out my, my sadness and my trauma on you. And she was, she was like, Chrissy, you don't need to apologize. I understand. And I am so sorry that we had to do this. Um, and we got to have a real human connection. And if I had stayed in my like anger of just like, like, no, I wouldn't open. I probably won't get pregnant either with that energy. And so it was a really sweet human connection that we got to share. I love it. I think, I think we have such an opportunity coming out of a worldwide pandemic to hit the reset button in so many ways. And I hope that one of those ways is that we're more human, that we have learned to see 
the struggle in other people, even if we can't relate to it, that we can validate other people's experiences without having to know what it feels like to walk in their shoes. And most of all, that we would just be champions of other people and the things that they put their hand to and the things that they're inspired to do and they feel passionate about, even if it's not something we would ever do or understand that we are all better when each of us is walking in our lane and and excelling in the things that we were created to do. Man, you are such an eloquent speaker. That's it. When we, when we show up the way we, you know, in our, in our essence, in our truth, in our honesty, we're a beacon, you know, we're a light force that other people get to see and get to be inspired by. And it actually makes everything work. So thank you for being that light for me, just having this conversation with you. I came into this, I'll be really honest, just feeling a lot of resistance. I typically feel resistance before anything really awesome. And I'm just like, oh, I look like shit. Like I'm not wearing makeup. Oh no, is it gonna be videotaped? Am I gonna know what I'm talking about? And now here I am just feeling like this is the conversation I've been wanting to have for a year. Mm. And I have this huge exhale is moving through my body. So thank you for holding the torch. It is the highest compliment when people started to say that my light was back. And my <laughs> one of my mom's best friends, who's been like an aunt to me my whole life, she noticed in my marriage, we ran into each other in public out in San Francisco. And she said something to my mom that day, I wasn't around. She was like, Caroline seems, something seems off with her. Is she okay? Like, And she noticed then And then I heard that story later, obviously. And then in the last, you know, probably eight to 10 months of my healing and really post-divorce finalization, everything, when someone who has been with me through seasons can say, man, your light is back and it's shining brighter and it allows others to shine. Like it, like, it's not my glory. Like I am just the facilitator and the vessel, but it, it brings me to tears still because it's like, I know what it feels like to have your light turned off. Yes. And so if I could ever provide an opportunity to help turn people's lights on, I'll do that for the rest of my life. Yes, you will. And you are. And I'm so touched and moved in this moment that that we get to share this together. And it just makes me want to know so much more about your story and what you've overcome because you did it. Congratulations. Thank you.